Welcome to this reading of the Poem of the Man-God, the private revelation of the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. Now out of print, this five-volume set of books is a narration of the life of Jesus, which extends from the birth and childhood of the Virgin Mary through the public ministry of Jesus, his passion and resurrection, and closes with the Assumption into Heaven. The narration is interspersed with direct dictations from Jesus for the sake of the whole world. These highly inspired visions were recorded by Maria Valtorta around the time of World War II, yet she did not consider herself the author. They were first published without her name shortly before her death, and only posthumously was her name added. My sole aim with this podcast is to share this lost treasure with the world. I hope you will enjoy them as much as I have. And if you do, please share them. Thank you for listening. Poem of Man God, Book 1, Number 49, First Meeting of Peter and the Messiah. Jesus is coming along a little road, a path between two fields. He is alone. John is moving towards him along a different path in the fields, and he meets him at last, going through an opening in the hedge. John, both in yesterday's vision and today's, is very young. His face is rosy and beardless, the fair complexion of a youth who can hardly be called a man. There are no signs of mustache or beard, but only the smoothness of his rosy cheeks. His blood His blonde, brown, long, soft hair undulates at each step while he walks almost as fast as if he were running. When he's about to pass through the hedge, he shouts, Master! Jesus stops and turns round, smiling. Master, I have longed so much for you. The people in the house where you live told me that I had come towards the, that you had come towards the country, but they did not say where. I was afraid I might not meet you. While speaking, John has bent his head slightly out of respect, and yet he is full of truthful love, both in his attitude and in his eyes, which he raises towards Jesus, while his head is still gently inclined towards his shoulder. I saw you were looking for me, and I came towards you, says Jesus. You saw me? Where were you, Master? Over there. And Jesus points to a group of trees far away, which, by the color of their foliage, I would say were olive trees. I was over there, I was praying and thinking what to say this evening in the synagogue, but I came away as soon as I saw you. But how could you see me if I can hardly see the place hidden as it is behind that hedge? And yet, you see, here I am. I came to meet you because I saw you. What the eye does not do, love does. Yes, love does. You love me, therefore, Master? And do you love me, John, son of Zebedee? So much, Master. I think I have always loved you. Before meeting you, long before, my soul was looking for you. And when I saw you, my soul said to me, Here is the one you are seeking. I think I met you because my soul perceived you. You said it, John. And what you say is right. I also came towards you because my soul perceived you. For how long will you love me? Forever, Master, I no longer want to love anybody else but you. You have a father and a mother, brothers and sisters, 
You have your life, and with your life you have a woman and love. How will you be able to leave all that for my sake? Master, I do not know, but I think, if it is not pride to say so, that your fondness will take the place of father and mother, of brothers and sisters, and also of a woman. I will be compensated for everything if you love me. And if my love should cause you sorrows and persecutions, they will be nothing if you love me. And the day I should die? No, you are young, Master. Why die? Because the Messiah has come to preach the law in its truthfulness and to accomplish redemption, and the world loathes the law and does not want redemption. Therefore they persecute God's messengers. Oh, let that never be. Do not mention that prediction of death to him who loves you. But if you should die, I would still love you. Allow me to love you. John's look is an imploring one. He has bowed his head lower than ever, and he walks beside Jesus and seems to be begging love. Jesus stops. He looks at him, scrutinizes him with his deep, penetrating eyes, and then lays his hand on his bowed head. I want you to love me. Oh, Master, John is happy. Although his eyes shine with tears, his well-shaped young mouth smiles. He takes the divine hand, kisses it on its back, and presses it to his heart. They take the road again. You said you were looking for me. Yes, to tell you that my friends want to meet you, and because, oh, how I was longing to be with you again. I left you only a few hours ago, but I could no longer be without you. Have you, therefore, been a good announcer of the word? Also, James, Master, spoke of you in such a way as to convince them, so that also he who had no confidence and is not to be blamed because his reserve was due to prudence is now convinced. Let us go and give him full assurance. He was somewhat afraid. No, not afraid of me. I have come for good people and even more for those who stand in error. I want to save people, not to condemn them. I will be full of mercy with honest people. And with sinners? Also. But by dishonest people, I mean those who are spiritually dishonest and hypocritically they feign to be good, whereas they do ill deeds. And they do such things and in such a way for their own profit and to secure an advantage over their neighbors. I will be severe with them. Oh, Simon then need not worry. He is as loyal as no one else. That is what I like, and I want you also to be. Simon wants to tell you many things. I will listen to him after speaking in the synagogue. I asked them to inform the poor and sick people in addition to the rich and healthy ones. They are all in need of the gospel. They are near the village. Some children are playing in the road, and one of them runs into Jesus' legs and would have fallen if he were not quick in getting hold of him. The child cries just the same as if he had been hurt, and Jesus, holding him in his arms, says, An Israelite who is crying? What should the thousands of children have done who became men crossing the desert with Moses? And yet the Most High Lord sent the sweet manna for them rather than for the others because he loves innocent children and looks after these little angels of the earth, these wingless little birds, just as he does 
with the sparrows of the woods and towns. Do you like honey? Yes? Well, if you are good, you will eat a honey which is sweeter than the honey of your bees. Where? When? When, after a life of loyalty to God, you will go to him. I know that I cannot go there unless the Messiah comes. My mother says that now we in Israel are like many Moseses, and we die seeing the promised land. She says that we are there waiting to go in, and that only the Messiah will make us go in. What a clever little Israelite. Well, I tell you that when you die, you will go to paradise at once, because the Messiah will already have opened the gates of heaven. But you must be good. Mummy! Mummy! The child slides down from Jesus' arms and runs towards a young woman who is entering her house holding a copper amphora. Mummy! The new rabbi told me that I will go to paradise at once when I die, and I will eat so much honey. If I am good, I will be good. God grant it. I am sorry, Master, if he troubled you. He is so lively. Innocence does not trouble, woman. May God bless you, because you are a mother who is bringing her children up in the knowledge of the law. The woman blushes at being praised and replies, May the blessing of the Lord be with you, too. And she disappears with her little one. Do you like children, Master? Yes, I do, because they are pure, sincere, and affectionate. Have you any nephews, Master? I have but my mother. In her there is purity, sincerity, the love of the most holy children, together with wisdom, justice, and the fortitude of adults. I have everything in my mother, John. And you left her? God is above also the holiest mother. Will I meet her? Yes, you will. And will she love me? She will love you because she loves whoever loves her Jesus. Then you have no brothers? I have some cousins on my mother's husband's side. But every man is my brother, and I have come for everybody. We are now at the synagogue. I am going in, and you will join me with your friends. John goes away, and Jesus goes into a square room with the usual display of triangular lamps and lecterns and rolls of parchment. There is already a crowd waiting and praying. Jesus also prays. The people whisper and make their comments behind him, and he bows to the head of the synagogue, greeting him, and he asks for a roll at random. Jesus begins his lesson. He says, The Spirit makes me read the following things for you. At chapter 7 of the book of Jeremiah we read, Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of Israel, says this, Amend your behavior and your actions, and I will stay with you here in this place. Put no trust in delusive words like these. This is the sanctuary of Yahweh, the sanctuary of Yahweh, the sanctuary of Yahweh. But if you do amend your behavior and your actions, if you treat each other fairly, if you do not exploit the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, if you do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow alien gods to your own ruin, then here in this place I will stay with you, in the land that long ago I gave to your fathers forever. End quote. Listen, Israel, here am I to illuminate for you the words of light which your dimmed souls can no longer see or understand. Listen, there is much weeping in the land of the people of God, 
Old people cry, remembering past glories. Adults cry because they are bent under the yoke. Children cry because they have no prospects of future glory. But the glory of the earth is nothing compared to a glory which no oppressor except mammon and ill will can take away. Why are you crying? Because the Most High, who was always good to his people, has now turned his face elsewhere and no longer allows his children to see his countenance? Is he no longer the God who parted the sea and made Israel cross it and led the people through the desert and nourished them and defended them from their enemies? And that they might not lose the way to heaven, he gave a law for their souls as he had sent them a cloud for their bodies. Is he no longer the God that sweetened the waters and sent manna to his worn-out children? Is he not the God who wanted you to settle in his land and made an alliance with you as father with his children? Well, then why has the foreigner struck you? Many amongst you mumble, and yet the temple is here. It is not enough to have the temple and to go and pray God in it. The first temple is in the heart of every man, and that is where holy prayers should be said. But a prayer cannot be holy unless the heart first amends its way of living, and with his heart man also amends his habits, affections, the rules of justice towards the poor, servants, relatives, and God. Now look, I see rich, hard-hearted men who make rich offerings to the temple, but they never say to a poor man, Brother, here is a piece of bread and a penny, take them, from man to man, and let not my help discourage you, as my offering may not make me proud. I see people who, in their prayers, complain to God because he does not hear their prayers promptly. Then, when a poor wretch, very often a relative, says to him, Listen to me, they reply heartlessly, No. I see you crying because your money is squeezed out of your purses by your ruler. But then you squeeze blood out of those you hate and you are not filled with horror when you take the blood and life away from a body. O oh, Israel, the time of redemption has come. Prepare its way in your hearts with good will. Be honest, good, love one another. The rich must not despise the poor. Merchants must not defraud. The poor must not envy the rich. You are all of one blood, and you belong to God. You are all called to one destiny. Do not shut with your sins the heavens that the Messiah will open for you. Have you erred so far? Err no longer. Abandon all errors. The law is simple, easy, and good as it goes back to the original Ten Commandments, illuminated by the light of love. Come, I will show you which they are. Love, love, love. God's love for you your love for God, love for your neighbors. Always love, because God is love, and those are the Father's children who know how to live love. I am here for everybody, and to give everybody the light of God. Here is the word of the Father that becomes food for you. Come, taste, change the blood of your spirits with this food. Let every poison vanish, let every lust die. A new glory is offered to you, the eternal one, to which all those will come whose hearts will truly study the law of God. Start from love. There is nothing greater. When you know how to love, you will already know everything. 
and God will love you, and God's love means help against all temptations. May the blessing of God be on those who turn to God with their hearts full of goodwill. Jesus is silent. The people whisper. The meeting breaks up after some hymns, many of which are sung like psalms. Jesus goes out onto the little square. On the doorstep there are John and James with Peter and Andrew. Peace to you, says Jesus, and he adds, Here is the man who, in order to be just, must not judge before knowing, but he is honest in admitting he is wrong. Simon, you wanted to see me? Here I am. And you, Andrew, why did you not come before? The two brothers look at each other, embarrassed. Andrew whispers, I did not dare. Peter blushes, but does not speak. But when he hears Jesus say to his brother Andrew, Were you doing any wrong in coming? One must not dare only evil things. Then he intervenes, frankly. It was my fault. He wanted to bring me to you at once, but I... I said... Yes, I said I don't believe it, and I did not want to come. Oh, I feel better now. Jesus smiles. Then he says, And because of your sincerity, I tell you that I love you. But I... I am not good. I am not capable of doing what you said in the synagogue. I am quick-tempered, and if anyone offends me, uh, I am greedy, and I like money. And in my fish business, uh, not always, uh, I have not always been honest, and I am ignorant, and I have little time to follow you to receive your light. What shall I do? I would like to become, as you say, but it is not difficult, Simon. Are you acquainted a little with the scriptures, are you? Well, think of the prophet Micah. God wants from you what Micah said. He does not ask you to tear your heart apart. Neither does he ask you to sacrifice your most holy affections. He does not ask you that for the time being. One day, without being requested by God, you will give God your whole self. But he will wait while the sun and the dew turn you, a thin blade of grass as you are now, into a sturdy, glorious palm tree. For the time being, he asks you only this, to be just, to love mercy, to take the greatest care in following your God. Strive to do that, and Simon's past will be cancelled, and you will become a new man, the friend of God and of his Christ, no longer Simon, but Cephas, the safe rock on which I lean. I like that. I understand that. The law is so... is so... That is, I cannot comply with it any longer, as the rabbis have made it. But what you say, yes, I think I will be able to do it, and you will help me. Are you staying in this house? I know the owner. I am staying here, but I am going to Jerusalem, and after I will preach throughout Palestine. I came for that, but I will often be here. I will come to hear you again. I want to be your disciple. A little of the light will enter my head. Your heart, above all, Simon, your heart. And you, Andrew, have you nothing to say? I am listening, Master. My brother is shy. He will become a lion. It is getting dark. May God bless you and grant you a good haul. Go now. Peace be with you. They go away. As soon as they are out, Peter says, I wonder what he meant before when he said that I will be fishing with other nets and catching different fish. Why did you not ask him? You wanted to say so many things, but you hardly spoke. I was bashful. He is so different from all the other rabbis. 
Now he's going to Jerusalem, says John, with so much longing and nostalgia. I wanted to ask him if he would let me go with him, but I did not dare. Go and ask him now, my boy, says Peter. We left him so, without a word of affection, let him at least know that we admire him. I will tell your father. Shall I go, James? Go. John runs away, and he runs back overjoyed. I said to him, Do you want me to come to Jerusalem with thee, with you? And he replied, Come, my friend. Friend, he said. Tomorrow I will be here at this time. Ah, to Jerusalem with him. And the vision ends. With regard to the previous vision, this morning, the morning of the 14th of October, Jesus says to me, I want you and everybody to consider John's behavior, particularly one point that always escapes everyone's notice. You admire him because he was pure, loving, faithful, but you do not notice that he was great also in humility. John, the first one responsible for Peter's coming to me, was modestly silent about that detail. The apostle of Peter, and consequently the first of my apostles, was John. First in recognizing me, first in speaking to me, in following me, in preaching me. And yet, see what he writes in the gospel? Andrew, Simon's brother, was one of the two who had heard John's words and had followed Jesus. The first person he met was his brother Simon, to whom he said, We have found the Messiah, and he took him to Jesus. End quote. Besides being good, he is just. And since he knows that Andrew is distressed because of his shy and reserved disposition, and that he would like to do so much, but does not succeed in doing it, he wants the acknowledgment of Andrew's goodwill to be handed down to posterity. He wants Andrew to appear as Christ's first apostle with Peter, notwithstanding that Andrew's shyness and uneasiness with his brother have been the cause of the failure of his apostolate. Amongst those who do something for me, who can initiate John, no, who can imitate John, instead of proclaiming himself an unexcelled apostle without considering that his success depends on a multitude of things which are not only holiness but also human daring, luck, and the occasional chance of being with other people less daring and less lucky but perhaps holier. When you succeed in doing some good, do not boast about it as if the merit were entirely yours. Praise God, the Lord of the apostolic workers, and have a clear eye and a sincere heart to see and give each, each the praise they deserve. A clear eye to decry the apostles who sacrifice themselves and are the first real incentive for the work of the others. Only God sees them. They are timid and seem to be doing nothing, whereas they draw from heaven the fire that urges daring workers. A sincere heart in saying, I work, but this fellow loves more than I do. He prays better than I do. I am not able to sacrifice myself as he does. And as Jesus said, In your private room, with the door closed, pray secretly. Since I am aware of his humble, holy virtue, I want to make it known and say, I am an active instrument. He is a power that inspires me, because, joined as he is to God, he is a channel of celestial energy for me. And the blessing of the Father that descends to reward the humble man, who secretly sacrifices himself to give strength to the apostles, 
will descend also on the Apostle who sincerely acknowledges both the supernatural and silent help of the humble one, and his merits, which superficial men do not notice. It is a lesson for everybody. Is he my favorite? Yes, he is. Does he not resemble me also in this? Pure, loving, obedient, but also humble. I looked at myself in him as in a mirror, and I could see my virtues in him. I therefore loved him like another self. I could see in him the glance of my father, who considered himself a little Christ. And my mother would say to me, I feel as if he were my second son. I seem to be seeing you reproduced in a man. Oh, how well the one full of wisdom knows you, my beloved. The two blues of your pure hearts mingled into one veil only to form a protection of love for me, and they became one love only. Even before I gave my mother to John and John to my mother, they loved each other because they realized they were alike, children and brothers of the father and the son.' 